Pride Institute is an LGBTQ-specific treatment center for substance use disorder and addiction. Pride was first opened in 1986 as a direct response to the HIV-AIDS pandemic. We provide care to adults 18-plus in residential and outpatient settings. I'm Luke. And I'm Kaylee. And together, we are the co-hosts of the Proud Voices podcast for Pride Institute. All right, today we're here with Jeremy. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us. And I'm just going to start it right off. Let's jump into it. How did you find yourself at Pride's Doors? Yeah, um, so I found myself at Pride's Doors um, after struggling with substance use disorder for quite a few years. Um, That basically started when I came out in 2004. Um, I kind of came out at a time where um, So I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, um, and there the gay community, the life just kind of revolves around bars, Bourbon Street. Mm -hmm. Um, So going out was was the thing to do. Um, So when I came out, I kind of started going out to the bars and I found this family of choice, say, um, that I could explore being gay and and coming out. and I, and I did that well, they were, they were very supportive, um, but I think we were kind of working off of some old survival skills from the past, um, kind of very secretive behaviors, um, traveling around to go to circuit parties. Um, where I realized I had a problem was when alcohol and drugs became mixed for me. So a lot of the, that group um, we would travel and go to these parties and then people would clean up by Sunday and get ready for work on Monday. Um, but my case was different. I was still going by Wednesday. Um, and I kept running into the same situations. Um, so probably about like five years of that took place where I just kept repeating the cycle. Um, and then someone in my family reached out to me and wanted to offer me help. Um, and they suggested me going to Pride. Um, So this was in about 2015. Um, So I'm in New Orleans, like rock bottom on the phone with like an intake counselor at Pride. Um, And I'll never forget that because they really walked me off the ledge and got me into like a stable mindset to be able to pick myself back up and get myself up here to Minnesota. and that, for me, is how I ended up at Prize Doors. Uh, so one thing that you mentioned that I thought was interesting is you had, you had mentioned survival skills. And so I wonder if you can expand on what that means as it pertains to being in the community. Because I, I understand, but let's say for like someone who's in the straight community, they might not. Yeah, so um, in years past, uh, these behaviors were, you know, what kept gay men and women um, safe as Mm -hmm. they engaged and encountered with each other out in the community. Um, I think, I think it's a long tradition of like, you know, cruising um, Mm -hmm. spaces, you know, to meet men. Um, Also kind of the bars had doorbells, you know, you had to ring the doorbell to be able to get into the bar because they needed to make sure you were not the police or, you know, um, someone willing to go in there and cause, cause danger to people. Um, I think for me, 
in early 2000s, I took that messaging as this is what a gay man does. This is what, what life is, being a gay man. Um, so each time that people kept telling me, hey, this, this behavior is not healthy for you. Look at what it's doing to your life. And the messaging was so ingrained in me, but I'm gay. And this, this is what we do. This is what gay life is. Um, that changed for me when I got up here to Pride. Um, and I was able to see that I had the freedom to discover what being a gay man truly was to me. Um, and I think the beautiful thing about it was being able to watch other people grow in the community and discover their identities and, and what that looks for them. Um, Funny story, going to the Pride Parade in Minneapolis <laughs> and um, seeing, you know, like 13 and 14 year olds out with their girlfriend or boyfriend was like <laughs> eye opening. A lot of friends are like, I can't believe you're so shocked by that. And I was like, I'm not really shocked by it. I said, I'm just like, my heart is so open to it. You yeah. Know? So, um, I, since leaving Pride, I have been really working on disengaging from those behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in today's world, we're dealing with a lot of other stimulation that's coming at us with like apps, um, which for me is a segue to drugs and alcohol. Um, it just takes that one wrong house to go to a person to meet up with that will lead me back down to where I was in the beginning. Yeah, and to your point too, I think like when we talk about gay bars and the culture that's around them, is like these were safe havens for decades mm -hmm. for gay people, mm -hmm. right? And it's obviously a kind of a toxic environment, especially if you're in recovery because it's all surrounding partying and alcohol and drugs. Right, right. And, and that's something that I've learned like since being here in Minneapolis is that it takes a lot of courage and a lot of bravery to be able to change the script and say, hey, this may be how we've done things in the past, but let's try doing things a little different. And we're gonna work on showing up differently. Mm -hmm. And that sets an example for people in early recovery coming out into the community. And also like a call to action that there needs to be more LGBTQ inclusive environments mm -hmm. that aren't just bars. I mean, there's like Stonewall and there's all these like I guess sports things that you can be a part of, but like there's not like a community center or there's nothing really that is not inclusive of that party environment. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of things that I learned uh, while I was at Pride, um, I, I try to show up with that in, in, the, in the real world and community. Um, I think the biggest thing that I learned there was like the positive affirmations uh, those were my favorite. Um, and the clinical director always kind of had a message of recovery thinking, recovery behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I put my foot forward with that um, today and try to show up for others. Yeah. So some things that I'm doing uh, in Minneapolis to try to be uh, a little inclusive of people who are in recovery and many things since the pandemic started, um, I went ahead and invested some money into buying paddle boards. Um, so if people are bored and they need an outlet to be able to get out and enjoy some sober fun, um, I'm always willing to take people out on the lakes and, and do some paddle boarding. Uh, 
Um, so that's that's one way that I've kind of been, you know, trying to engage mm -hmm. and stay active in the community. You heard it here first, folks, Jeremy, for your paddleboarding needs. Something I uh, found interesting that you just said um, is that you started your use after you came out. And a lot of times with this community, we see people using to escape those feelings and you used it as a way to fit in. I was hoping you could like touch on some things that you do now to fit into this community because you're not using. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think a lot of that, um, how, how do I fit in into the sober community as a gay man is by showing up and leading by example. Um, I think there's a lot of fear when you are giving up your substance of choice and starting a whole new life that where am I going to fit in? Um, so some things that I've been doing is I make it a point when I go to recovery meetings or um, events is that I introduce myself to people who might seem to kind of be off on the side. Um, that's a twofold thing that breaks the fear that I have of like, oh my God, who are these people? Are they going <laughs> to like me? Um, and it also starts a conversation with them and shows them that someone does care and wants to know how things are going with them. Yeah, well, and the whole point, I think, of like those social environments and bars is to like kind of get out of your own head, too. And that's how a lot of people use alcohol. And so I think for a lot of people in the community, it's like the first time where they're like, oh, my gosh, I don't have to worry about mm -hmm. the way I'm, I stand, the way I talk. Mm -hmm. Like, I can just be myself. And yet there is still this like internalized homophobia of like, no, you can't. Mm -hmm. And so it just creates this kind of like Achilles heel almost. Um, but one thing I think that, you know, differs from your story than a lot of the other guests we've had on this podcast is we haven't had anybody from the South yet. And so, you know, the United States is so big and like Louisiana and Minnesota are two different worlds. And I've never been to New Orleans, but I know I've heard <laughs> that. It is a wild party. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about your like upbringing and your experience there and how that might have shaped your story? Yeah, yeah. Um, so growing up there, um, I always call it like the magical childhood. Like it was just, it was very amazing. When my upbringing, I was kind of sheltered from what being gay was or mm -hmm. a gay lifestyle. Um, I grew up in a Roman Catholic family. Um, I did have a gay uncle. Um, never knew that he was gay. Um, but I would hear a, my family, you know, just always kind of condemning that as a lifestyle choice. Um, so imagine growing up in, in a family like this and then realizing, hey, something's different about me, you know? and. I want to explore that and I, I want to be myself. Um, so there was a lot of fear in that. Um, so I could get on my bike and like ride the neighborhood. Things are open 24 seven. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I started exploring on my own. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's where things kind, kind of really opened my eyes to like, this messaging, these beliefs that have been instilled by my family and about outside sources, that's theirs, that's not mine. Mm -hmm. um, and I have this freedom to explore that and become who I truly am. Um, and I, I do think New Orleans was a great place to, to do that. Um, 
I think where it got a slippery slope is everything is open 24 seven. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, bars don't close there. Um, they open around the clock and they serve around the clock. Oh my goodness. Um, so what I found myself doing was like waking up at like 3 a.m. and sneaking out to go to the bar um, and hanging out there. And when you were still living with your parents, still living with parents, mm -hmm. you know, it was it was my way to go and kind of like explore and be around people that were like me. Uh, and that wide openness of New Orleans can be dangerous if you're not ready to handle it. Um, and there's a lot of tourists um, coming in and out. So that's also, you know, whole fresh set of characters coming through. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. And so what was, was it kind of jolting then moving from the South to Minnesota? Cause I mean, two different worlds. I was in, I think Robert, Louisiana. Okay. Just, I did like a pay it forward tour a few years ago. And I just remember being there and everyone was so kind and nice, but I was like, I can't believe we're in the same country. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. So it was definitely culture shock moving up here. Mm -hmm. um, things are a lot more forward here. And um, just having the freedom to express myself how I chose, like in the street. Um, I think the biggest, one of the biggest things that I've enjoyed the most is like, you can hug or hold your boyfriend's hand in the street here mm -hmm. and not have someone like look at you like that's a, such an mm -hmm. odd concept. Mm -hmm. um, that was amazing. Uh, winter, not so much. <laughs> I concur. Yeah, uh -huh. Let me tell you. Uh -huh. um, winter makes getting sober and clean a lot harder, but it's so much worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think. So I've been working a 12-step program, and my first winter here, I remember calling my sponsor for a ride, and it was a snowy day. And, um, you know, that that whole motto of, well, how did you get your drugs or alcohol? Mm -hmm. You walk there, so walk to the meeting. Oh, yeah. um, so I, I've learned a lot about being Minnesotan and, <laughs> and um, being in the North, and I appreciate it a lot. Um, I do go home for visits. And um, I'm able to show up for my family, which is a big deal for me. Um, I'm able to show up as myself and be sober and um, be supportive. When you go back to New Orleans, is there a large sober community there? Because I know in Minneapolis, it's like a little bubble of, you know, LGBTQ life, of, you know, recovery life. And it's very safe, supportive here. I'm um, just wondering if that was your experience in New Orleans as well. So, there, yeah, so there's a... There's a large recovery community mm -hmm. there, um, but not as large as here. And one of the things, one of my personal struggles in New Orleans was leaving a, a recovery meeting or a group activity and the bar being right across the street or right next door. Mm. Um, and that just being so readily available was really kind of, the hurdle that I needed to cross in New Orleans. And so I was able to put some recovery time together down there, but nothing like, like what it's been here in Minnesota. Um, that's one of the things that I, I love about the Twin Cities is that at any point in time, you can find people who are in recovery to hang out with, to get support from. 
Um, and that's, that's like a beautiful thing that's like kind of unique to this area. Mm-hmm. And so I think a, a lot of people have to leave home to seek treatment and a lot of people can just do it in their backyard. Um, from your experience, it sounds like you had to leave. Is that true? Yeah. So I had to leave at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gets to a point where after you've gone through these cycles so many times, for me, I got to a point where it's like, what am I going to do differently that's going to change this from happening again? Um, and I think I looked for external sources so many times to try to change that, that it, I needed to detach myself from, from the environment and put myself in more of a nurturing environment. Um, and that's what I found up here and uh, while I was at Pride. So what would you tell someone who's maybe apprehensive of like leaving home? or someone who was in the same situation as you? Yeah, so so another unique thing about coming up uh, to the Twin Cities for treatment is that the aftercare is, is really on point. Um, you don't leave without having a plan. And if you execute that plan that you've come up with while you're in treatment, you're destined for success in this. Um, they're really great recovery homes um, scattered throughout the Twin Cities that are very beneficial and conducive to people's recovery. Um, and that in itself becomes a network where you start to network with people and really build relationships um, that I think I've been up here for about six years now and I am still friends with the people that I was in a sober home with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've just and watching each other grow and supporting each other and that's a beautiful life that is cute i'm just curious you're dressed so sharply today what's your life like now yeah so um i when i got out of pride i made a, a deal to get a recovery job um something minor you know it didn't take a lot of um stress or a lot of my mental capabilities while I was an outpatient. Um, so I started, I applied for a little fitness job, um, at a fitness club here in Minneapolis and, um, I got turned down and, um, came back to IOP very, very upset. It's <laughs> like, how could someone flunk that? <laughs> um, and then the next day I got a call and, they told me that they had a full-time position, full benefits. Nice. And um, they were very willing to work with me to be able to stay in outpatient treatment mm-hmm. and um, work for them. So I, I took that position and um, I think that has been, this job has been very beneficial and very challenging to show up in a professional setting after I don't know, being on drugs and alcohol for years mm-hmm. is, is, is definitely a challenge, but I've loved every minute of it and it has built a lot of character in me. It's built, um, a lot of ability to be able to take care of myself and give back to others. Yeah. I can see how that would be intimidating, but I think forming those healthy habits and creating routine again is, is so important. Yeah, it it definitely is. And um, that's something that I I really valued about outpatient was I was able to be out in the world 
and come to outpatient in the evening. And if I had any struggles, we would go over over what that struggle was and like learn some new skills to be able to go out the next day um, and tackle that. Yeah, it's all about drawing the line and knowing how to push yourself, but not push yourself over that line. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Proud Voices. You can find us where you find all your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. We'll see you next time.